0: Welcome back to the Inclusive Activism Podcast. This is going to be part two of the Black Panther Party where we dive in a little bit deeper about why is this stuff hidden from us Why are we not allowed to know about this stuff and what are the ramifications of people keeping information like this from us mean for the future? So enjoy part two of the Black Panther podcast and I'm looking forward to talking to you at the end. The Black Panther Party was involved in many community projects as part of their organization. These projects included community outreach, the breakfast program, education and health programs. From the beginning, the Black Panther Party sought education as a fundamental goal of their organization, and it was highlighted in their 10-point platform, which was distributed throughout the party. The newspaper was one of the primary and original consciousness-raising educational measures taken by the party. Despite the fact that men were distributing the paper, women like Elaine Brown and Kathleen Cleaver were seen working behind the scenes on those papers. Which take us to our last point of the podcast. Uh, What are some little-known facts about the Black Panther Party, and how would that help them be viewed in a different light? The Black Panthers had a reputation of being based on a masculine image and on male leadership, but this was not true. There were female members of the party, and they played significant roles. However, with this in mind, it becomes too easy for the party's sexism to be overlooked in history. Sexism was a particularly prominent under the leadership of Eldridge Cleaver. His interpretation that the black power struggle involved the submission of women for the male manhood. Women in the party had been relegated to menial positions that had seemed fit for gender, cooking, cleaning, and office type work. During Cleaver's leadership, the sexism within the party was best presented within the speech at Stanford University in 1968. At that point in time, he had reduced women to sexual objects. Their sole power was to be used for sex and to garner support for the Black Panthers. Though this had been the case in the early years, uh, and many had been subjected to sexual harassment, some members of the Black Panthers attempted to move up women as more prominent figures of female leadership and you can see as i just talked about uh they did struggle with the idea of sexism within their party but they also kind of figured a lot of really cool things out within the black panther organization and again it frames them in a different light from just being seen as just like this image of like black manhood there is a lot of thought and consciousness put into the organization also although they were originally founded in california the black panthers became an international organization with a branch in algeria the establishment of this branch was due to internal divisions within the party at different times the leaders huey newton and eldridge cleaver began to differ in their ideological elite beliefs and this created a lot of tension between the two very powerful personalities in 1969 cleaver fled to algeria to escape imprisonment in america While there, he began to attack the Black Panthers and became impatient for the revolution. Newton supported the idea of reaching out to the community, whereas Cleaver took a more militaristic stance and advocated for the overthrow of the white system with a lesser focus on the community. The final nail between the two leaders came with Cleaver's decision to align with the Black Liberation Army. After his release from prison in 1970, Newton expelled Cleaver from the Black Panthers. By 1968, the Black Panther Party was viewed as the greatest threat to the internal security of the country and began to receive a lot of attention from the FBI. The government program, Counter Intel Pro, or Coin Intel Pro, led by J. Edgar Hoover, was created to neutralize communism but then began to turn its attention to black nationalist groups. The Los Angeles chapter became one of the most affected in the conflict between the party and the FBI. The FBI targeted the Black Panthers and other national groups, using tension between the groups to damage the party. United Slaves Organization, another black nationalist group, was already in a kind of turf war with the Black Panthers in its trying to establish dominance over the Los Angeles territory. As a result of this early tension, Black Panther Party members Al Prentice Butchie Carter and John Huggins were shot dead in 1969 by these rival group members. These murders occurred in a meeting to discuss the choice of new director of the new Black Studies program at UCLA. Recognizing the importance of exacerbating tensions between the UAS and LA branches of the Black Panthers, Huber began to capitalize on this event. After the shootings, there were attempts to salvage the relationship between two parties, but all of this had been interrupted time and time again by the FBI. They were sent anonymous derogatory cartoons to the Panthers and to the United Slaves Organization, which implied one was still out to get to the other, often playing on the deaths between uh, the bless of Carter and Higgins. The FBI prevented the U.S. and the Panthers from consolidating alliances by exploiting the tension between them very effectively. Uh, Also, uh, again, people don't really know about the fact that the Black Panthers orchestrated many social programs which improved the lives of black people across America. They also tried to improve the voter registration numbers of black people. The party promised the chicken in every bag, which is part of Bobby Seale's campaign when he ran for mayor in Oakland in 1970. SEAL set up the Black Community Survival Conference where 10,000 bags containing chickens were given away for free for three days in March of 1972. The bags also contained cereal, noodles, a dozen eggs, and beans. The catch was that the bags contained a voter registration form for every adult to try to get them to register. There was no definitive proof of the numbers of the Black voters increased due to this initiative, but it still provided nutritional support for 10,000 people. The Black Panther Party wanted to provide health care for black people that was not available from the government. The party opened the People's Free Medical Clinics across the country after a directive from Chairman Bobby Seale. The clinics were established in 13 different cities and staff gave medical care to black people as well as other groups who needed it. The Black Panthers also ran an ambulance service in North Carolina, but their biggest breakthrough was in healthcare, was in the acknowledgement and treatment of sickle cell anemia. It was a neglected disease that had received little funding because it affected basically people from African descent. The party improved the handling of sickle cell anemia by setting up for national screening programs to test for the disease. The Panthers also went door to door and pricked fingers for blood samples to test for the trait as well as for the disease. The research was groundbreaking and the party's Sickle Cell Anemia Research Foundation was later then funded by the federal government and was one of the nation's first sickle cell testing programs. While the Black Panther Party was n- notorious for its violent rhetoric and its advocacy for the use of arms and defense, it is lesser known for its work in the community to improve black lives. The party set up 65 social programs between 66 and 82, ranging from the children's breakfast program to the clinic, free health clinics to free brushing to prisons program. These type of uh, assistance were designed to improve areas which were lacking for many black people, especially in the areas of education, nutrition, healthcare and employment. The most successful program, the free breakfast program was set up and soon initiated in every chapter across the country. The program fed thousands of children daily before they went to school and set them up for the day. Many of these children did not receive a substantial breakfast from home or any breakfast at all. This breakfast program consisted of eggs, bacon, grits, toast, orange juice, and sometimes hot chocolate. The Free Breakfast for Children's program also educated children on black history, black culture, and informed them on current events. The programs were an invaluable source of aid to thousands of black people and have built a lasting legacy, albeit one that's lesser known today. Originally, the party was pro-black, not anti-white, meaning that they only were seeking to select and provide for African-Americans in the way that the American government had neglected to at the time. Although the Black Panthers was an organization for black Americans, they stood with other oppressed minorities and many times stood for one another in vice versa spaces. The Black Panthers were against capitalism. They believed strongly in the value of socialism. The Black Panthers did not believe black males should enlist in the United States draft. The Black Panther was seen as an animal symbolic of strength speed endurance and commanding presence and awareness the black panther's guiding principle was an undying love for the people the black panther party for self defense was created and the two revolutionary men created the organization as a way to collectively combat white oppression after constantly seeing black people suffer from torturous practices from police officers around the world newton seal helped in pioneering the black liberation group to help the community and to confront corrupt systems of power at the time in 1966 police violence ran rampant in los angeles and the need to protect black women black men and women were from state sanctioned violence was crucial the armed Panther members would show up during police arrest of black men and women, stand at the legal distance and surveil the interactions. It was to make sure that there was no brutality, Newton said in archival footage as shown in the documentary. Both Black Panther members and officers would stand facing each other armed with guns, the act that agreed with the open carry law in California at the time. These confrontations in many ways allowed the Panthers to protect their communities and to police the police. The sight of black women and women unapologetically sporting their afros, berets, berets, and leather jackets had a special appeal to many black Americans at the time. It reflected a new portrayal of the self for black people in the 1960s in a way that attracted young black kids to want to join the party. Some even wrote letters to Newton asking to join. The Panthers didn't invent the idea that black was beautiful. That was done by former member Jamal Joseph, and that was mentioned in Stanley's documentary. One of the things that the Panthers did was prove that the urban black was beautiful. The Black Panthers furthered their agenda by appealing to what they believed journalists and photographers sought after to cover in the news. They were able to establish legitimacy as a voice of protest. They leveraged their voices and imprinted their images in newspapers, magazines and televisions. Civil rights icon Martin Luther King, who was consistently advocated for nonviolence and inspired many, had been assassinated in 1968. His murder triggered an overwhelming response from the Panthers. They had killed the last chance for me to be peaceful with them said one member in the documentary they had killed their last chance for negotiation in the 2016 presidential election donald trump won the white votes across all demographics except for college educated white women otherwise he captured all white people what he did especially well was getting working class white voters 67 percent of whites without a college degree had voted for him some post-election analysis marveled how a white working class could have voted against their own interests by supporting a billionaire businessman who had been wanting to support policies that cut taxes for the rich and would weaken the social safety net. Since the New Deal, the Democratic Party had been seen as the party for working people, while Republicans were considered as the party of the elites. Trump was able to flip this narrative to an advantage. Election 2016 balkanized issues and made it seem impossible to work on racism, sexism, poverty, and economic issues all at once. The core question moving forward for many social justice advocates and the Democratic Party is how can they move beyond identity politics and attract working class voters of all races, therefore building stronger coalitions among many disparate groups. One place to look for inspiration and instruction might be in the 1960s social movements that understood the power of alliance across identities and issues. During this period, a radical coalition formed in what might seem impossible today. A group of migrant southerners and working class white activists called the Young Patriots joined forces with the Black Panthers in Chicago to fight systemic class oppression. How did this alliance form and what lessons can be applied to its political movement? In the post-civil rights era, the militant black power movement emerged with the Black Panther Party uh, forming in 66, which had been inspired by Malcolm X and other black thought leaders. The group embraced the idea of armed struggle as a potential tool against the organized racial Oppression, a radical break from the philosophy of nonviolent protest. A large faction of this group had developed in Chicago. In Chicago in the 1960s, this was a bu- brutal place for black people. Black, brown, and white people all had to deal with poverty, unemployment, police violence, substandard housing, inadequate schools, and a lack of social services. Ethnic and racial violence created their own social service and activist groups to combat this type of oppression. One group was known as the Young Patriot Organization, which was based in Hillbilly Harlem, an uptown neighborhood popularized by displaced Southern white Southerners. The many YPO members were racist, and they flaunted controversial symbols associated with Southern pride, like the, the Confederate flag. But like blacks and Latinos, white young patriots and their families experienced discrimination in Chicago. In this case, it was because they were poor and from the South. In the short time as a Black Panther leader, Fred Hampton wanted to advance the Goals groups by forming a rainbow coalition of working-class people from all races. Former members of the Chicago Panthers and the Young Patriot organizations tell different versions of the same story and how each of the groups connected. They each attended the others' meetings and decided to work together on their common issues. Over time, the Black Panthers learned to tolerate the Confederate flags as a sign of intransigent forms of rebellion. The only stipulation was that the young patriots had to denounce racism. Eventually, the young patriots rejected deeply embedded ideas of white supremacy and even the Confederate flag, once they had come to realize how much they had in common with the Black Panthers and the Latino Young Lords. Despite these differences, the two groups united under the umbrella of justice, and it was known as the Redneck Revolt. Assumed to be natural enemies, these groups united in calls for economic justice. In 1969, the Black Panthers newspaper, the party's chief of staff, Devin Hilliard, admiringly called the young patriots the only revolutionaries we respect that ever came out of the mother country recalling his work with the young patriots organization the former black panther bobby lee explained that the rainbow coalition is just the code word for the class struggle in the end illinois panthers brought various elements together from the black community from the confederate flag-waving southern migrants the Puerto Ricans, the Young Lords, the poor economic ethnic groups, rising up angry, join the community union and the Intercommunal Survival Committee, as well as with students and as well as with several different women's movements. These desperate groups under the coalition's umbrella pooled resources that shared strategies for providing community services and aid in areas that the government and private sector would not provide for. These initiatives included health clinics, feeding hungry and homeless people, legal advice, as well as dealing with unethical landlords, as well as police brutality. Again, I tell you that stuff because I don't think a lot of people know about how diverse and how wide ranging the work of the Black Panthers were. And I think they provide an avenue of hope because they never bowed to the Young Patriot organization. They helped educate them and they changed notions and ideas. But I think that's something that's important to know because everybody has the ability to change something. And especially if we can find ways in which we are all held down by uh, elites and forced to be treated subhuman. I think the Black Panthers have a lesson for us in finding ways to reach across uh, aisles and divisions and find ways for us to to get together with other folks yeah I think you know that whole idea of like trying to find what we have united and stand in those things make a real difference and that's something that I thought you needed to hear the story of so I appreciate you tuning in and hearing about it so as far as the podcast goes it's been steady strumming along uh, we've been averaging about 200 downloads every uh, release week and then it dwindles down to 150 uh, on non-release weeks. so it's good to see that people are kind of like tuning in and listening to things and I'm glad to hear that uh, remember to please connect with us with the Facebook page with the Instagram page with the uh, Twitter account and with all these things where there's more and more ways for you to contact me and share what's going on with you so i would like to have you part of this team so this is my official invite to you to get a hold of me and let me know what you're thinking and feeling voicemail me at 860-576-9393 you can voice or text me at 860 860- 576 860 576 Tell me what you're thinking about this Black Panther stuff. Uh, email me at, at Cox.net. I want to create a sense of community with you all. And I know you're out there and I know you're listening because the downloads prove that it's there. So again, 860-576-9393, at Cox.net. Reach out and tell me what you're thinking and feeling. Also remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, also share this these podcasts on social media when you think something's interesting or if you feel like someone should listen to that. Uh, these shares go a long way to make a significant difference for us here at the Inclusive Activism Podcast. Also make sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Player FM, Pocket Cast, Google Play. These are all great ways for me to show proof of work to potential sponsors and show me that what I'm doing here matters to you and that you care about the work that we're putting in Uh, with both Sarah and I into this podcast to help educate you and to talk about how you can learn more about these important issues. So checking in on me and my self-care. My lifting has been great the last couple weeks. I've gotten at least four days and I've also managed cardio at least four times a week. So both lifting and cardio, I'm killing it and meditated at least two times last week, although that's a thing that I could get a little bit better at. Uh, I've been trying to get up early and just find a little blank space. And I think I want to make sure I get back up to the three times, at least 10 to 15 minutes. And I think that will help give me a lot of sense of peace, uh, as well as a sense of love for my fellow human that I need to do, especially in these contentious times. I've been getting my supplements in and that has been good. So uh, making sure that I get my supplements in so I'm feeling at optimal optimum health is something that's very important for me and something that I'm really excited about. Uh, Also, the temperature is getting out of place where I can do some more training with tank because training tank trains me and how to train myself. Uh, It gives me the discipline that I need to follow through on things and I've been doing pretty good with rest. So I'm really happy and my time at Phoenix College has been both helpful, happy and productive. And I'm really happy for that. For me checking in on my activism, I'm going to be getting involved in some faculty senate stuff this week, which I'm excited to check in on and hear a little bit more about. I went to the Anytown reunion, which was a fantastic experience and got to see some folks both from my camp and from other camps. And it was nice because some old Anytown alumni got together and were there, and I was really heartened to see and hear about that. I'm planning on heading out to the Sweat Lodge with Jem Rubin this next week on Tuesday. Unfortunately, our friend Don is not able to make it, but I feel like that's something that's really important that helps us connect and find something bigger than ourselves, which is fantastic. So I'm looking forward to that coming up next week. So lastly, I want to leave you with my recommendation of the podcast, and that is for the documentary, The Black Panthers, Panthers, The Vanguard for the Revolution. In the turbulent 1960s, change was coming to America, and the fault lines could no longer be ignored. Cities were burning, Vietnam was exploding, and disputes raged over equality and civil rights. The new revolutionary culture was emerging, and it it sought to drastically transform the system the black panther party for self-defense would in a short time put itself at the vanguard of that change the black panthers a vanguard of the revolution is the first feature-length documentary to explore the black panther party its significance in the broader american culture and its cultural and political awakening for black people and the painful lessons it wrought when the movement derails master documentarian stanley nelson's goes straight to the source, weaving a treasure trove of rare archival footage with diverse groups of voices of the people who are there, the police, the FBI, the informants, the journalists, the white supporters and detractors, and the Black Panthers who remain loyal to the party after those left. It's featuring the voices of Kathleen Keever, Jamal Joseph, Erica Huggins, and dozens of others, as well as archival footage of the late Huey P. Newton and Eldridge Cleaver. The Black Panthers, a vanguard of the revolution, tells the story of a pivotal movement of those who gave rise to the new revolutionary culture in America. With their causes and their slogans like power to the people and creating a better world, they are now rel- relevant again in an era that have seen the rise of Black Lives Matter and the movement Uh, and tense relations between black communities and those of the police. The Black Panthers' commendations of injustice, oppression, and brutality in the late 60s again reverberate, this time in new cities one after the other. So again, that's something that I'm recommending you all. Uh, I haven't seen it myself, but I'm going to watch it myself. And I'm really looking forward to that stuff myself. So in review, what did we talk about today? Today, we talked about how were the Black Panthers framed in history? What is the truth about the Black Panthers? And what are some little known facts that help us give give us a fuller view of the movement and help us see this in a new way. So again, this is the end of the podcast. So I hope you enjoyed it. It's longer, it's a little bit more research-based, but I thought there's some fascinating stuff there, especially hearing about how the movement dealt with sexism in its time. So if this made you think of something, and give me a call. Let me know. It's 860 576 Text me at 860 576 But check that. I'd rather hear a voicemail at 860 576 This is this place for us to have a conversation with each other, to talk to each other, for you to tell me about what you think or correct me about something, right? A lot of people think like, in some ways, I like bow to whiteness in that I always look, for example, about how parties seek legitimacy by like finding white folks. If you feel that's the case, talk to me about those things. For me, I just think it's interesting that those stories are hidden. So this is a place for us to have a conversation back and forth. And if you want to talk about those things, let me know, hit me up. Uh, again, if you are interested in booking me and bringing the power of inclusive activism to your organization, you can always do so at inclusive at cox.net. Or you can learn more about me and this organization at www.inclusiveactivism.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you learned something. Enjoy your week.